Well, I'd invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John chapter 17. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 19 together. As you make your way there in your Bibles, Jesus uh, is with his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And from chapter 13 all the way to this point here, we find ourselves in chapter 17. Jesus has been in the upper room with his disciples. And he's been preparing his disciples for what's about to happen. Not just what's about to happen to him, but what's about to happen to them. Uh, Jesus, in the next hours and days, is going to suffer. He's going to die. Three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. And then after 40 days, he's going to depart. He's going to ascend to the Father in heaven. And his disciples, having been told that he's about to leave them, their hearts are full of sorrow. But Jesus is not just preparing them for what's about to happen to him. He's preparing them, instructing them, encouraging them in regards to what's about to happen to them after he departs. I mean, think about it. They've been with Jesus for three years. They've been walking with him. They've been talking with him. They've developed a unique relationship with him. Jesus has been their teacher, and now he's leaving them. But as he leaves them, he leaves them with a purpose. He leaves them with a ministry. As Jesus was an extension of the words and works of the Father, so now his disciples are going to be an extension of his words and his works. Just as Jesus was an extension of the Father's messages, and now, now, his, now his disciples are going to be, uh, well, the Father's message, now the disciples are going to be an extension of that same message, and they're going to declare the good news of Jesus who died and rose and offers everlasting life to anyone who will receive him or believe in him. You know, as we began in chapter 13, because that's where this upper room discussion started for us, Jesus began to prepare them for a ministry of service. If you remember, Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room. They were having a Passover meal together, and Jesus uh, leaves the table, comes back, washes all of their feet, and then he tells them, as I've washed your feet, wash one another's feet. It wasn't a ministry of washing feet, right? It was a ministry of service that is exemplified in what it means to wash one another's feet as the least ranked servant in the room. It was not just a ministry of service. It was a ministry that he's preparing them of love. In chapter 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all will know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. Also, he gave them a ministry of power. Jesus told them in these chapters, as we come up from chapter 13 up to chapter 17, he says, it's to your advantage that I go. Why? Because if I go, you will receive the helper, the spirit of truth who will guide you in all truth. It's a ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit. But we also learned it was a ministry of suffering. In chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will persecute you. During our time, last time we were together at the end of chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, in this world, the 11 of them, you will have tribulation. But what? Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. As he prepares them for this ministry, this ministry of service and love, this ministry of power and even of suffering, as they share in the suffering of Christ, they are more than overcomers in Jesus, who is going to not only die for the sins of the world, but rise victorious over sin, death, and Satan. 
Well, Jesus has already prepared them during this conversation um, through instruction. Now, in chapter 17, he prepares them through prayer. And chapter 17 could be described this way, the Lord's Prayer. Now, I know elsewhere in Scripture, we often refer to another prayer as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But the reality is this, that prayer is not necessarily the Lord's Prayer. He taught his disciples how to pray. That's really, if I could describe that prayer, that's the disciples' prayer. After all, Jesus doesn't need to pray, forgive uh, me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. No, rather, this is truly the Lord's prayer, and what a privilege. What an opportunity the disciples had, and what an opportunity we have to eavesdrop on the prayer of Jesus with, the heaven, with his heavenly Father in this moment as he's about to redeem the sins of the world. Now, all throughout the New Testament, we get to hear that Jesus prays, but we get snippets of the prayers. We get just a, a taste of the prayers, or we just know that Jesus prayed. Here, we get to hear exactly what he prayed. And so as we take a look at this prayer, we're going to consider who Jesus is in light of it, because we're wondering, is Jesus the Christ? Is he the Son of God? Is he truly the one? If you come to him, believe in him, he'll give you eternal life. John chapter 17 verse 1 reads this way, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in, it, in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name whose, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except for the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth, your word of truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. The word of the Lord. We get to hear the very words of Jesus prayed the night before his crucifixion. 
Jesus is with only 11 disciples now. One of them has already departed. He has gone to find those who are going to arrest Jesus and inform them that Jesus, he spends a lot of time in the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas is going to go, go there to betray the Lord. But Jesus at this point is either in the upper room or, which I uh, think more likely, he's on his way from Jerusalem to Gethsemane. The time is around midnight, and as he spends time with his disciples the night before his crucifixion, knowing what lies ahead of them, he's continuing to prepare them, not just through instruction, but through prayer. And what we get to see in our text is what we learn about Jesus in light of his prayer. If I could break down chapter 17 for you, we're only going to get through the first 19 verses, but the first five verses tell us about Jesus' prayer for himself. Uh, verses 6 to 19 tell us about his prayer for his disciples. And then in verses 20 to 26, which we'll get to next time, we'll talk about his prayer for all believers whom the disciples and others will go and share the message of the good news with. Well, let's begin and talk about Jesus and uh, what we learn about him in light of his prayer. The first thing we learn in the first five verses is that Jesus is the one who prays the Father's will for himself. Jesus prays the Father's will for himself. Uh, as we enter into that prayer, before we talk about the content of it, we first get to see the posture of his prayer. Look carefully at verse 1. It says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and spoke. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. The posture of prayer is one in which Jesus speaks and lifts his eyes to heaven. There are different postures of prayer we read about in Scripture. Perhaps when you spend time with the Lord in prayer, there are different postures of prayer that you have. Some people pray with their head bowed and their hands folded. Others pray standing up, walking around. Some multitask and pray. Some people pray while they're driving, taking a shower. There are different ways that you can pray. Some people pray on their knees. Other times people pray face down on the ground. And I like to suggest often when, when you pray, the posture of your prayer should reflect the posture of your heart. And uh, you can pray in many different ways, but, but there's something significant about those prayers on your knees, right? There's something powerful about those prayers where you're so desperate for the Lord, where you're just face down on the ground crying out to God to intervene, to come in and work in your life in the midst of your circumstances. Jesus, in this moment, he prays out loud and he speaks and he looks up to heaven. The posture of prayer that Jesus prays, he reveals a lot about the purpose of his prayer. First, he, he prays publicly, not just privately. Jesus is not just praying in isolation. He's praying in the presence of his 11 disciples. And the reason he's praying in the presence of these disciples is in order to encourage them. Did you ever think about that? That there is a significance to, to prayer, and one of the, that significance is when somebody prays for you out loud, that's an encouraging thing. When you have an opportunity to pray for someone in a time of need whose hearts are full of sorrow, like these disciples are full of sorrow, and Jesus takes a moment to pray for himself, to pray for them, and to pray for all believers, and he does so publicly in order to encourage them. There have been times when, uh, when I think back uh, where we've really needed the Lord. 
where we called upon our church family or we called upon a family member or a friend and said, hey, we need you to pray for us. And there's something powerful about them laying their hand on our shoulder and praying for us out loud, the very will of God in accordance with the the word of God. Can I just pause here for a moment and encourage us when we have an opportunity to pray for folks or when someone expresses a desperate need that we wouldn't just say, hey, I'm praying for you or I'll pray for you tonight, but that maybe you're in the grocery store, maybe you're in the doctor's office, maybe you're just going about your everyday business, even in the workplace, and you'd say, I'm gonna pray for you right now. Lay your hands on them and encourage them by means of your prayer. Jesus prays out loud, publicly, not just privately, to encourage these disciples whose hearts are full of sorrow. He wants to fill them with courage, wants to fill them with peace and trust that he is in control. The posture of prayer not only reflects the purpose of to encourage them, but to pray the very will of God. Consider this, Jesus is looking up to heaven. I picture him with his hands reached out to the heavens, praying to the Father. And what he prays in this prayer is the will of the Father. Often, all throughout, I mean, even to this point, Jesus has been talking to us about one promise, which is joy. And one of the ways we receive joy is with the assurance of answered prayer. When we pray anything in the name of Jesus, we have the assurance that we have it. And that fills us with fullness of joy. Jesus prays this. And not only does it encourage the disciples, but it fills Jesus with joy in this moment. He's trusting the Father. You say, why does Jesus, he's God, why does he need to to pray? On this moment, he connects with the Father not only encourages the disciples, but gives them an example to follow as we have been given that same example. The posture of prayer reflects his, his purpose to encourage them and also to pray the very will of the Father. And so we begin with the posture of prayer. Secondly, you see the recipient of the prayer. Who does Jesus pray to? He says, Father. You say, well, of course, right? That's how Jesus always talks. He always talks to the Father. He calls him Father because one thing, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Uh, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And from eternity past, God the Son uh, has always existed in relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, in this moment expressing intimacy, he says, Father. But I don't want to pass over that because we could easily do that. I just want us to take in for a moment the the unique ability, not just for Jesus to call God Father, because it's one thing for him to call God Father. It's a whole other thing for you and I to do it. When we begin our prayers to say, Father. Uh, This past week, I was talking to our girls, and our oldest was asking me, she said, Daddy, why do some people call you Jeremiah? And why do other people, and why do we call you Daddy? And I said, the reason is because no one has a special relationship with me except for you guys. No one else has a unique relationship that they can call me father. And because you call me dad, I have a, 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 spe- have a special place in my heart for you. Listen, you and I can call God father because we have a special relationship with God. Not because of what we've done, not because we're anything special, but because of what Christ accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, making a, a way for us 
to have a right relationship with God as our heavenly Father. Not just as our creator, but as our Father, adopted as his children. So the recipient of the prayer, of course, he, uh, Jesus prays, Father, and then we see the content of it, glorify your Son. When Jesus prays, glorify your Son, he's praying for himself, but he's not just praying for himself, he's praying the will of the Father for himself. How is Jesus going to be glorified? Now, when we think about Jesus being glorified, I think my mind immediately goes to his ascension. After his resurrection, Jesus, or during his resurrection, he rises from the dead in power. Uh, at his ascension, he, he ascends to the right hand of the Father in glory. But when, this, when Jesus is saying, glorify your son, he's talking about not just his ascension, but his crucifixion. From the world's perspective, the crucifixion looked like the worst thing that could ever happen to Jesus. But the crucifixion was all a part of the plan of God from the very beginning. The main purpose for why Jesus left heaven for earth was to die for the sins of humanity. So that anyone who, who, who puts their trust in Jesus can have everlasting life in his name. And so what Jesus is praying here is glorify me, Father, by allowing me to fulfill the purpose for which you have called me to be crucified on the cross to bear the sins of the world. To rise again from the dead three days later, ratifying my victory over sin, death, and Satan, and glorify me as I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Jesus prays, glorify me. He's praying the will of the Father. Why? We get to see the reasons why. First, because his hour has come. Verse 17 says, Father, the hour has come. Therefore, glorify your Son. If you've been walking with us through the Gospel of John, if you read through the Gospel of John, often Jesus is with his disciples. He's going about ministry, Jerusalem, Judea. And as he goes about ministry, he always says, the hour has not yet come. But now it's time. Listen, Jesus doesn't have his life taken from him. Jesus is sovereign over his suffering. He is sovereign over the redemption plan falling into place. And so it's now time. It's now his hour to be crucified. Secondly, the reason he prays glorify me, he says, is in order that he might glorify the Father. When the Son is glorified as an extension of the words and the works of Jesus, of the Father, as an extension of the miracles and the messages of the Father, when Jesus is glorified, so is the Father glorified. Because Jesus is a revelation of who the Father is. So as Jesus is glorified through the cross, defeating sin, death, and Satan, so is the Father. As Jesus rises in power, victorious, ratifying his victory over sin, death, and Satan. The Father is glorified as well. And in his ascension, he is glorified as well. Jesus says, glorify me so that you also will be glorified. Thirdly, um, verse two, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Jesus says, glorify me now so that I can give eternal life, the gift of eternal life to everyone you have given me. Who's, who, who's in charge of salvation? God is. 
God is sovereign over salvation. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to give my eternal life to everybody. He says, I'm going to give it to the ones that you have given me. And so he says, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And then verse 3, he defines eternal life for us. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know what we learn in verse 3? Is that when you and I die, and that's the reality we will all face one day, and maybe sooner than later for some of us, unless the Lord comes back. But what we know is the moment we die, we don't cease to exist. The moment we die is not annihilation. What happens when we die is eternal life or eternal death. You will spend eternity somewhere. When we're talking about eternal life, we're talking about knowing the Father and knowing the Son. Eternal life begins not after we die. The eternal life begins now. So when you have a personal relationship with Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you can call God your Father because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross, dying as a substitute on that cross. That's what eternal life is all about. You know what eternal death is? Death, when you die, is, it means to be separated. So when you die, it's your body being separated from your spirit. You're ever in a room with someone who's passed away they're not there anymore. Not only is there no breath in them, there's no spirit in them. When we're talking about eternal death, we're not talking about an eternal separation of the body from the spirit. We're talking about a spiritual death, an eternity separated from God and his people forever and ever. Hell. And the reason it is a hellish existence is because you can gnash your teeth you can cry out for mercy, and there is no help. That's a hellish existence indeed. That's why eternal life is offered to us now. You can't wait till tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. You deal with your sin at the cross today. You, you get right before a holy God today and say, God, I've missed the mark. I've fallen short. I need to know without a doubt that I have the assurance that if I died today because I know you, I know Jesus, and I know the Father, I know what Christ has accomplished for me through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, I'm not going to go another day without surrendering to the truth of the gospel. Receive forgiveness of my sins and commit to follow Jesus all the days of my life as my Lord. Uh, that's the good news indeed. And Jesus talks about the eternal life that he gives. Verse four, he says this, I have glorified you on the earth. Jesus is giving a report here. Jesus, during his time on the earth, through his incarnation, living on the earth and beginning his ministry, all of his miracles, all of his messages, Jesus says, I, I have glorified you. But he's not just speaking of that. He's speaking of how we will glorify God through the cross and through his resurrection and ascension. I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus looked at all he has done and all that he will do, and he says, I've done the task. He speaks about it as if it's already done. With certainty, he's committed to the will of the Father. Verse five, and now, O Father... Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world 
was. Who's Jesus? You read those five verses, you consider that prayer. Who prays that they would be glorified in this sense? Who prays that that they would be glorified with the glory that they had before the world began? Not no man, not no prophet. I'd never pray this, you know. Be scared to be struck down from heaven with lightning. Jesus prays this because Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a prophet. Take a look at the manner in which he prays. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. He is the Son of God. He is the one, the only one, who can provide eternal life to anyone who will receive it. That's why John says in chapter 20, verse 31, these things I write to you so that you may believe. We have the recorded prayer of Jesus. If this doesn't tell you he's the Christ, if this doesn't tell you he's God, I don't know what will. Our opportunity for us is to ask and answer the question, who is Jesus? It's one thing for it to be presented to us. It's another thing to respond through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to the truth and surrender to it. I invite you to surrender to Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. I invite you as believers to continue to stay committed to him. Jesus is the one who prays the will of the Father for himself. Um, If we were to take away some some things from our text, the first one would be this. uh, Be encouraged by Christ's ministry of prayer. You know why this was prayed in the presence of the disciples to encourage their faith. Disciples, they, they don't have all of the pieces together in their own mind. They can't make sense of it all. They can't understand it all. They won't until after all this happens, after Christ's death, his resurrection, everything is going to come together later. They're going to recall these words that he's prayed and they'll call them to mind and they'll be encouraged. They'll be filled with joy. They'll be encouraged to continue their ministry. And so my prayer is that not only they had the encouragement when this prayer was prayed, but you and I would have the same encouragement. What do we need to be encouraged by? Who Jesus is. If you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, you've done a good thing. You have put your faith in someone who isn't dead. You've put your faith into someone who's alive. You've put your faith not just in a man or a prophet. You've put your faith in the living God and you have the assurance that you will spend eternity with him forever. That's something I want. Not only do I want it, I want to be encouraged to share it with everybody who will hear it. Be encouraged knowing that Christ was, was glorified through his death, granting us eternal life. What a wonderful thing to know that Christ fulfilled his purpose by dying on that cross, but also that the Father was glorified. May we be encouraged by the prayer that Christ prays here in this text. Secondly, may we exercise our own ministry of prayers for others as we glorify him in all things. Can I invite us to follow Christ's pattern for prayer? Now, your prayer is not going to be the same as Jesus. (laughs) We're not going to pray the same thing that we would be glorified through uh, our crucifixion and our resurrection. No, no, Jesus, this is his unique role. This is his unique ministry that he's been given. But man, we can glorify God through the prayers that we pray that are focused on his glory and not our own. 
that are focused on his will and not our own. When we're praying in his name, which means we're praying in accordance with his will. And if we pray anything in his will, we know that we have it. Can I open it up for discussion in regards to this? How might you encourage a believer who prays privately but struggles to pray publicly because of feeling self-conscious, you know? How do you encourage yourself, Wanda? <laughs> We're all there, I think, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just praying that you'll be obedient and when it's time to pray, to pray. Yeah. Yeah. How else would you encourage somebody? You know, you pray privately. It's another thing to pray publicly. Even in among, among Christians, you know, I don't know if I'm praying the right way. You know, all these... All these spiritual people pray really good, yeah. 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 So fearing God more than fearing man, we, don't, uh, we have a tendency to, to care more about what people think than uh, what God thinks. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm hearing from Matt is seize the opportunity to bless someone through prayer. We become self-conscious of ourselves, but we don't realize how much of a ministry that is and how much God can use us in the opportunity to, to pray for another. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Larry. So just having a conversation with God and talk to him just like you're talking to anybody. Yeah. 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 Kevin. Yeah, so it's an opportunity to enlighten people to the truth of who God is in our prayers. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, prayer is a great ministry to... Because yeah, sometimes people won't uh, hear, a, hear it. They don't talk to me about God, but if you want to pray for me, go ahead, right? You can pray for me. And what an opportunity to paint a picture of who the God we pray to is. Sovereign, all-knowing, Loving, caring, gracious. Amen. Yeah. Anyone else? Any, any words of encouragement you give someone who 
You know, I struggle with it. I think in, all, in some way we all struggle with it. Whether it's a believer or an unbeliever you're praying for, how do you, how do you fight through that and get to the other side? Just do it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Try it out. Yeah, that's good. I think another thing is uh, get around people who are passionate about prayer. Get around those folks who are fearless about praying for anybody and everybody in the church, out of the church. You need prayer right now. We're going to pray for you. Uh, I remember... Uh, a pastor that we had, we were, he was driving us in the car, and as we're driving, he gets a phone call, and he's like, hey, guys, uh, we're going to pray for somebody right now over the phone as he's, as he's cruising down the road. You just pray in that moment. It's, it's amazing when you get around the right people who are passionate about prayer, how that begins to rub off on you. Can I ask another question? If the essence of eternal life, as we've read in our text, is to know God and Jesus Christ, what in our lives often hinders process. If eternal life is about getting to know God and getting to know Jesus Christ, and we're growing in that. God knows us perfectly. Uh, We're growing in our knowledge of God. What hinders that process for us and what might further it? Yeah, Paul. What do you mean by that, Uh, Paul? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what hinders us is just not being authentic or genuine and uh, sharing with people we all struggle. Uh, we have a tendency to say, hey, how are you doing? I'm good. You're good. We're all good. But the reality is you're not okay. I'm not okay. We're all not okay because we all have needs, but we're not always as open to, to share them. Yeah. Anything else? Anything that, that you would say, this hinders me from fully enjoying the process of, of, of really getting to know Jesus and God, experiencing the fullness that eternal life offers, or, or maybe you want to talk about the other side of it, what furthers it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we get distracted, life gets busy. There's so many things in this world that take up our cares, take up our, our minds. And sometimes we just need to refocus, reprioritize those thoughts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Your mind just jumps around sometimes and <laughs> goes to different places, yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Anyone else want to share? Yeah, Tasha. Yeah. Yeah, you really get to know God in times of suffering, in times of sorrow, in times of grief, and you really lean into the Lord. Or will you talk about the other way? Yeah, it could go either way, sure. 
So in times of hardship or difficulty, sometimes that hinders us from growing in our, our, our knowledge of God because we say, God, how can, you, how can you be good and holy and love me and care for me and allow me to experience this? Yeah. 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 And so first, we, as we take a look at the text, we get to see Jesus' prayer and relationship to himself. Who is Jesus? He, he prays the will of his Father. And as you hear the content of the prayer, glorify me that you might be glorified in me. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. Secondly, Jesus prays the Father's will for his disciples. Um, one of them has departed. There are 11 of them still there. And while these prayers are for his disciples, you can consider how Jesus may pray for you as well. And verse 20, let me just jump to that. We'll get to that next week. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so uh, as he prays for his disciples, these can be applied to believers today. And he'll go into more detail of that in verses 20 to 26. But let's pick up in verse 6. And in verses 6 to 8, Jesus begins before he makes a request for his disciples to give a report of his ministry to his disciples. This is interesting. And so as we consider the pattern of prayer that Jesus gives us in what I would refer to as the disciples' prayer, and it's a pattern for us to pray in regards to how we should pattern our prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, you start out by exalting God. You start out by glorifying God. And that's a pattern for prayer. But here you have another pattern for prayer as Jesus gives a report of his ministry. This is Jesus. He's God. He's the second person of the Trinity. Why does he have to give a report to the Father? Don't, doesn't God know all things? Yeah, but it's the relationship, the, the, the intimate relationship that the Father has with the Son. If Jesus committed himself to this much prayer while he was on earth, how much more do we need to commit ourselves to prayer? Jesus, he gives a report. He says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Whom is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking of those 11 disciples. I have manifested. The word manifested means I have revealed, I have declared. I have revealed, I have declared what? Your name. When we refer to someone's name, when we pray in Jesus' name, a name often refers to the, the character of the individual. Sometimes children in the Bible times or other places are named after their character traits that they might have or they're named after their nature. In regards to the name of God or praying in the name of Jesus, we're talking about the nature of God. We're talking about the divine attributes of God. And so when Jesus says, I have manifested, revealed, or declared the name of the Father, Jesus is saying, when you look at my words, you'll see the Father. When you take a look at my works, you'll see the Father. When you take a look at my miracles, you'll see the Father's works. You'll see the Father's miracles. When you, when you look at the message that I've shared and declared, all these I am statements, you will see the Father. If you want to get to know who God is, take a look at Jesus. People often say, I'm trying to get in a right relationship with God. I'm trying to discover God. If you have conversations with unbelievers... Start with Jesus. If you want to know who God is and you want to put flesh to what it looks like to, to, for, for, for God to exist, take a look 
at Jesus and you'll see who God is. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Once again, Jesus affirms the sovereignty of God over salvation, whom you have given me out of the world. And so Jesus is describing these disciples. They have been given to him from the Father. If you are a believer and you've trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord, the Father has given you to the Son. You are his. And because you are his, he is your good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the door to the sheep before that. All who enter by me shall be saved. They shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief, he doesn't come to except to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus says, whom you have given me out of the world, they were yours, you gave them to me, and what? They have kept your word. How do you know you're a disciple of Christ? The fruit of that relationship is obedience. You hear his word, and those who are truly his, they know the sound of their shepherd when he calls. And as we, as we hear the word, as we listen to the voice of God, we walk in obedience to it. And that's a good sign that we belong to him. They were yours, you gave them to me. They have kept your word. Verse seven, now they have known all things which you have given me are from you. Jesus said, Everything you've given me, I've shared with them. And we have the word of Christ recorded in this book. Therefore, we have the words of Jesus. Now, all scriptures God breathed, it's profitable. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So not just the red letters, but all of them are the direct revelation from God. 2 Timothy 3.16. Let's get to know this book. Let's get to know what Jesus has to say. Let's get to know what God has to say because as we uh, receive the word of God, we respond in following after him and walking in obedience to it. Um, Verse eight goes on to say, for I have given to them the words which you have given me. Jesus gives a report. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you and they have believed that you sent me. Now, if you were with us at the end of chapter 16 last week, some of you are wondering, these words sound a little different because at the end of chapter 16, Jesus said this in verse 31. He said, Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered, each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. And now he speaks as if they've heard the word and they've received the word and therefore they belong to Christ because they've been given by the Father. Jesus sees these disciples in light of what they will become. Now, they don't understand everything, but they have received enough of his word. And they have received the salvation that God has provided them according to his sovereign will. And in a moment, he's going to pray to the Father that the Father would keep them. And what we're reminded of is that those who belong to God will be kept by God. The reason you and I are kept, the reason you and I persevere is not because we're holding on to his hand, but because he's holding on to ours 
And the good news of the gospel is he won't let you go. If you truly belong to him, you may try to squirm. You may try to to go your own way at times. But if you truly belong to him, he'll hold on to you and he will not let you go. And they have received them and have known, surely I came forth from you and they have believed that you have sent me. So verses six to eight, he gives a report of his ministry to his disciples. If you were to take time in your prayers to give a report to God about your ministry to him, did you know that all of us are in ministry? Not just me, not just the pastor. Like all of us are employed in the ministry of the kingdom of God. Now your ministry may look different than mine. You may not stand behind a, a, a pulpit. You may not declare the word before people, groups of people, but God has given you a ministry. Your ministry may be to your children. Your ministry may be to your family members. Your ministry may be to those in your circles of influence in the workplace, uh, in the grocery store, uh, the direct neighbors that live next to you, not too far away from you. You and I all have a ministry. What is that ministry? And what a wonderful thing, maybe tonight, to take an opportunity to say, God, thank you for the ministry you've given me. This is where I've been faithful. This is where I can grow. Lord, thank you for these children you've given me or these grandchildren or even these great-grandchildren. And God, here's my ministry report. This is how I'm doing. God, in this area, help me grow in it and, and, and be the kind of mom, dad, grandpa, uncle, aunt that you have called me to be. Serve in the church, serve in the workplace. What's the ministry God has given to you? It's a nice thing to write it down and then give a report before the Lord and pray to God about it. Verse nine, Jesus then goes into the prayer. I pray for them. Um, Can you picture this moment for the disciples? They've just been told by Jesus he's about to depart. They don't fully understand everything's gonna happen, but their hearts are full of sorrow, chapter 16 tells us. And, And Jesus in this prayer says, I pray for them. We, we just talked about how encouraging it is sometimes for people to put their hand on our shoulder and to just pray for us in that moment in accordance with the word of God, in accordance with the will of God, and how encouraging that is. How much more is it encouraging for the God of heaven who knows you better than you know yourself to say, I pray for them. Does Jesus pray for you? The Bible says yes. In Romans 8.34, it says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So when Jesus says, I pray for them, you can put your name in there and you can believe it. When Jesus says, I pray for them, I pray for Jeremiah. I pray for Harold. I pray for Sherry. I pray for Wanda. What a wonderful thing to know that Jesus prays for us, not just his disciples. Jesus says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. Jesus focuses his prayer. He says, "Um, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Does Jesus have concern for the world? Yes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life, John three sixteen. But in this prayer, the focus of his prayer is not on the world who is rebellious and unbelieving. The focus is on the prayer for his own. 
whom the Father has given to him, he prays for them. He prays for you and he prays for me. And all, and uh, I do not pray for the world, but for those you've given me, verse 10, and all mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. How is Christ glorified in you and me? He's glorified when we come to faith in him and we surrender our lives to him and we receive the substitutionary atonement for our sins. When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, he's glorified through us, in us. He's glorified as as we live a life empowered by his Holy Spirit, a life set apart to him in service and obedience. Christ is glorified in us. Verse 11, now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world and I come to you. Jesus is about to leave, right? He's about to depart and he says, listen, these disciples are here and he says, Holy Father, here's the first prayer request. Keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are. What is the Father's prayer for the disciples that he would keep them? Keep those 11 disciples Keep them from what? And it says in order that they might be unified. Keep them from disunity. There's a lot's going to happen. Jesus is going to suffer. They're all going to scatter. He's going to die. And then three days later, he's going to rise in newness of life. And then he's going to depart and ascend to the right hand of the Father. Jesus prays that they will be kept from disunity. That they would be kept from error. Jesus provides them the words of truth. And after he leaves, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and he will guide and direct them in all things. And so Jesus prays that they would be kept from error, from, from, from disunity, from sin. There's nothing more divisive than sin. People often say, well, uh, you don't know about my sin. I'm the only one who knows about my sin. Only me and God know about my sin and it doesn't bother anybody but me. And I face the consequences of it. That's a lie straight from hell. You may think your secret sin is, is just having consequences on you, but it'll affect all those who are close to you. It will corrupt your relationships. It will destroy your life. The, the, the wages of sin is death. We're not just talking about the consequence of eternity without God and his people forever and ever. But if you walk the path of sin, that path will lead to destruction in your life and ultimately to death. Keep them from sin. Keep them from error. Keep them from disunity. That None of them is lost except for the son of perdition. Who is the son of perdition? Who is the one doomed to destruction? Doomed to damnation? One of them, Judas. Judas was of them, but was not really, was with them, was not really of them. Remember Jesus was talking about the, the, the vineyard, the metaphor of the vineyard. Jesus said, uh, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser, you are the branches. Any branch that isn't, that doesn't bear fruit, the Father cuts off. Those that that are truly His, He prunes. He cuts down in order that we might be more fruitful. But those branches that look like they're connected, but, but not genuine like Judas, are cut off. Jesus says, He will not be kept. Text goes on to say, verse 13, But now I come to you, and these things I speak 
in the world that they may that that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus says, I give them my word so that their joy may be full. These disciples are going to have a hellish next few days. Jesus is going to suffer. He's going to die. They're going to be scattered. They're going to be shaking in fear for their lives, thinking what happened to Jesus is what's going to happen to us. But after Jesus rises from the dead and even Thomas, he says, I won't believe it unless I see it. And Jesus says, take a look at it. Take a look at my side where they pierced me, my hands where they pierced me. And these disciples, everything's going to start to come together. And they're going to see the resurrected Lord. And then they will remember the words of Jesus. They will remember his instructions. They will remember his encouragements. They will remember this prayer and it will strengthen their faith. It will so strengthen their faith that there are going to be people in this world who will not only hate them, but will seek to kill them and then martyr them for their faith. But you know what's going to press them to the end? And even in the face of death, it's the words of Jesus. The word of God is precious. And because it's precious, we should read it, we should memorize it, we should study it, we should share it. There's a reason we come together on a Wednesday night because we believe in the value of the word of God that brings us into relationship with the one true God. You walk away from a Wednesday night and you think you've got more knowledge. What a waste of time if you haven't drawn any closer to God. Well, we don't only read the word. We want to we have intimacy with the God of the word. And so my prayer is that we would not just be enlightened by the truth of it, but we would be transformed by it. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. What is their ministry? It's a ministry of suffering. But remember the end of chapter 16, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. As believers, God has not called you and I to isolate from the culture around us and to live without any temptation around us and without any sinners around us, if you want to put it that way. We're not called to go off and and uh, uh, go off to the country somewhere and, and just live our lives. Nowhere to be in the world, but not of the world. And as those who are in the world, uh, we are, uh, uh, Jesus prays that, that, we, that he would keep us from the evil one. And uh, the evil one is spoken of in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour and Jesus prays keep them from the evil one did you know there's an adversary out there who, who who seeks to steal to kill and destroy there's an adversary out there who's like a a roaring lion and so when you wake up in the morning as a Christian and, and as a believer you've got a target on your back but take heart and be of good cheer greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world be of good cheer. Even though you got that target on your back and the adversary like a roaring lion is looking to, to for whomever he may devour, 
The Lord Jesus prays for you as he prays for these disciples. Keep them from the evil one. And I don't know about you, but that's the best prayer partner that you can have. What a wonderful thing to know that no matter how powerful the enemy may be, God is all powerful. He is the one who has overcome sin, death, and Satan. He did it on the cross, ratified it in his resurrection, and reigns and rules now and forevermore on high. Verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Verse 17, um, having said... um, Having prayed, keep them and unify them. Now he prays, sanctify them. Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth, your word of truth. The word sanctify means to set them apart. To set them apart in service to the Lord. Um, when something is holy, when something is sanctified, that means you're, you're set apart to God. You're set apart to his service. And he's saying here, set them apart to, to you. Set them apart to your truth. Set them apart to your service Your word is truth. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus says this, as he has been sent by the Father, you have been sent by the Son. What have you and I been sent to do? I mean, think about that for a moment. We wake up in the morning, we've got our schedules, we go about our day. You may go to work, maybe you're retired, maybe you go about this business or that business. What have you been sent to do? Some of us say, well, I've been sent to, um, been sent to raise a family, I've been sent to uh, build a career, I've been sent to do this or, or do that. What have we been sent to do? What has the Son sent us to do? If, if, if the Father sent the Son into the world, and now the Son sends you and I who have put our trust and our faith in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, Jesus, before he ascended, before he departed, he said in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, uh, and Acts chapter 1, verse 8, um, but you shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. What has the Son sent you and I to do? He has sent us to be a disciple and he sent us to make disciples. He has sent us to know him and he has sent us to make him known. What is your ministry? We began and we talked about the ministry of the disciples. We share that ministry. It's a ministry of service, sacrificial, selfless service, the kind where you wash one another's feet. What's the best way you can serve others? By sharing the truth of who Jesus is with them. And if they already know who Jesus is, to remind them of the truth of who Jesus is. What a great ministry uh, you may have as a spouse to to encourage people in the Lord. (laughs) Remind them of the truth of God's word. Remind them of their value in Christ. Remind them of who they are and what they've been called to do. I mean, we, we, we are greatly blessed. What is your ministry that God has sent you to do and write it down. Can I encourage you? I said that already. Write it down. And then take a moment to report on it. Ask God, how can I grow in this? 
It, it may be a ministry to your neighbors, your family members, your friends in the church and outside of the church. God has surrounded you with a unique circle of influence that no one else has but you. How are you using the opportunity you've been given to go and to share the good news of Jesus with them? Let me finish up. Verse 19 says, And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Why does Jesus need to be sanctified? Sanctified means to be set apart to the service of God. Jesus says, I sanctify myself to the service of the Father, to die, to rise, and to depart again in glory, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. The reason Jesus has been set apart to die on the cross, rise three days later, and ascend to heaven in glory is in order that you and I might be sanctified. You and I might be set apart to the purposes of the God in obedience to him and in service to him. May we pray, God, be our vision. Help us to see our lives and our purpose through the lens of Scripture, and serve you the way you've called us to serve. Let me take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word tonight. And we thank you for this prayer of Jesus that we get to eavesdrop on. A prayer for himself in accordance with the Father's will. A prayer for his disciples. And next time we're together to talk about the prayer for all believers. I pray, Father, that this prayer would be an encouragement to our hearts and our faith right now. I pray, Lord, for anyone here today who doesn't have the assurance of salvation, is still wrestling with who Jesus is. Is Jesus the Christ? Is Jesus the Son of God? Is Jesus the one who offers everlasting life? And I pray, Father, that you would stir their hearts even in this moment in such a way that you will draw them to the knowledge of Jesus. I pray, Father, for those that you have sent us to reach. Father, those you have placed on our hearts and our family, among our friends, our neighbors we may have that we live around, those in our circles of influence, help us to be faithful to the mission that you've called us to, knowing, Father, that, that, that as Jesus has been sent by you, we have been sent by Jesus. So, Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to be sanctified. Help us to be kept to the end by you. We thank you for these words and we pray they would be encouragement to us today and the rest of this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.